Welcome to BIV Today, the daily business podcast from the Business and Vancouver newspaper and BIV.com. I'm Kirk LaPointe, Editor-in-Chief, and I suppose this serves as a bit of a reunion to have in conversation today. Haley Wooden, journalist here at BIV, a co-host, of course, of this podcast on other days. We uh, we now do these things solo, yeah, uh, but uh, we've got you here, combo, because... Uh, You've written a story for our next print edition that I think uh, we want to talk about. We're entering budget season this month with the provincial budget due week after next, the federal budget not far behind. And um, we want to get take a look at the expectations of business. So, Haley, uh, in general, is there a general theme, a general mood business have right now? I think I can sum it up in three words. No more taxes. Yeah. Fatigue. Tax fatigue. Yeah. A lot of businesses very concerned about what the levels of taxation this year will mean for them. Of course, the last year we had the employer health tax mm-hmm. announced. That's in effect this year. We also still have half of those MSP premiums in place too. So mm-hmm. I've heard time and again from businesses, yes, this no is, more new taxes. Well, this is the year that the government gets to scoop up. It gets yeah. its cake and eat it too, right? It's the double uh, dip. Yeah. But it, look, business, of course, will logically always say we don't want taxes. Sure. Is there anything you think that's a little different about the tone in this case? Does it have to do with the timing of the economy or where the economy is that they they don't want anything loaded upon them, you know, even more? I think so. I think there's been a lot of uncertainty. And I think it's clear that businesses maybe don't need to stay in BC. There's been a lot of concern oh. about attracting investment here. Hmm. Different trade organizations have said that they've seen some members relocate or they've close down certain operations. They're looking south of the border. They may be looking further outside of the region. So I think, as you put it, tax fatigue is a good way of looking at it. Hmm. But I also think if we're going to see more taxes potentially, and that's maybe a bit of a question mark, I think businesses are really going to reevaluate their operations here. Because um, our our uh, news organization recently wrote about the talent squeeze. Yeah. And and how businesses are, of course, experiencing real shortages in certain sectors uh, because of the lack of competitiveness in British Columbia as a place to live, apart from its wonderful, glorious climate and scenery, mm-hmm. right? It's, it's, you know, it becomes very difficult. Yeah, it's an affordability issue. And I think the other theme, too, government obviously has looked at affordability. It's trying to make changes on the housing front. It's looking at healthcare as well. But I don't think when you look at the housing market, we've really seen affordability enter the market. So from a business owner's perspective, they're looking at, well, cost of housing is still very high. We're not necessarily going to see much change on that in the short term. And we're getting squeezed a bit when it comes to the wages we're, we're having to pay talent and in relation to other jurisdictions too. So I think there's the margins are tight for some businesses and they may be looking for a bit of relief. Yeah. On the provincial front, of course, there has been a dampening of the housing market with a variety of tax measures. And those tax measures, uh, no doubt, have uh, have taken the edge off of what was a really booming housing situation in this province. That being said, the depressed sales have an impact on provincial coffers. They have a mm-hmm. The revenue declines. And it probably then leads the province to look for other sources of revenue to fill the breach, sure. which gets us back to taxes. <laughs> yes, and taxing businesses. Yeah. And I think uh, Anita Hubberman, CEO of the Surrey Board of Trade, said they're looking for a business-friendly budget. And of course, business would be looking for that. But I think the sentiment tends to be business has picked up maybe some slack and has been a source of tax revenue for the yeah. government. 
it's it's I guess a bit of an axiom that uh, NDP governments in this country are considered to be tax and spend governments, mm. and yet I noticed in the first iteration here that Carol James was was much more measured that that she was attempting really to try to create a reasonable balance in all of this. And the business community, while it has squawked a bit about the new tax load, hasn't actually come out and really been as aggressive uh, and confrontational as business has been at times with other NDP governments. But do you think we're reaching the point where if business doesn't get um, a real break in the next couple of weeks with the budget, that actually we then get back to a bit of the old confrontation between, you know, the the capitalists and the socialists? You know? <laughs> That's an interesting question. I think exacerbating some of the challenges is what's happened at the federal level in this issue. It's not just BC's competitiveness. Businesses are also considering Canada's competitiveness. And when I think if you look at the measures taken by the BC NDP as well as the federal liberals, businesses are looking for some kind of relief from one government. It may be easier to turn to the more immediate government provincially and, yeah, potentially ask for more incentives, be a little bit more heavy-handed in the rhetoric. Yeah, we could digress and get into the federal budget pretty quickly because this is actually a pre-election period Yeah, for the liberals. Uh, for the conservatives, of course, too, they'll be promising things. And uh, for that matter, the NDP has to find a way to shore itself up. Um, my reading in the early going is that the NDP – is going to look everywhere but business for any kind of support as it tries to essentially revive its fortunes on the federal side. The liberals, though, are going to probably look at, because uh, they're not worried, it seems, about the deficit, uh, at least for the foreseeable future, they're looking at, um, at probably shoveling out some goodies. Mm -hmm. uh, the, the, that is the typical way that we get into the pre-election period, is that their budget will be one that is uh, quite generous in yeah. a lot of ways. I think that tends to be expected. It is an election year, after all. The question is whether we see some kind of plan to balance the budget. Of course, we wouldn't see that in the short term, but potentially we could have a situation where government has its cake and eats it too, tables some kind of long-term plan for getting back to balance, which many economists would like to see and some businesses as well, but also doling out quite a bit of spending, meaning we're not necessarily going to get back to balance in the short term. Yeah. Not necessarily spending that takes effect though right away. I mean, that's, mm -hmm. that is, that's actually, uh, again, a bit of a characteristic of both governments in recent times, particularly when it comes to things like housing or transportation. That you can announce this today, get a fair amount of the buzz for it today, some of the credit, and yet the bills don't come due for some time. Uh, what I wonder about is whether uh, the provincial on the provincial side, with its commitment to childcare, with its commitment to housing, a um, little less so with transportation, that some of these bills are coming due at a time when we might start to experience some economic headwinds. Yes, that is not explicitly mentioned in the piece I wrote for BIV, but that is, I think, on everyone's mind. What's going to happen in the next 18 to 24 months south of the border? And what is that going to mean for Canada and British Columbia? Because we do have some major spending that's going to take up a large portion of resources at the provincial level. We're also maybe seeing some revenue go down if we don't have as many sales in housing. And also we're phasing out MSP premiums. So this year the funds will be a little bit bigger, but once those are phased out next year, we'll maybe need to find more revenue. Because the province doesn't have many more places to look. Mm 
There's no new source of revenue that's going to come along in the way that real estate was, say, in the last decade, when a lot of our commodity revenue uh, gyrated at times, Mm -hmm. that there was this steady increase, kind of a pulsation of, uh, of, of revenue coming out of things like property uh, transfer taxes uh, and a lot of other uh, associated revenue with that, and even even income tax from the many more construction workers that we had. If we start to see the housing market begin to um, experience a more protracted stall, even a decline, does that really hit our books in a big, big way in the province? I think we would notice the impact for sure. The question then is, well, does government move away from balancing the budget to try and fund some of the commitments that it has promised to do. Yeah. This doesn't seem to be a, an NDP government that wants to consider a deficit, though. I think, it, no. I think strangely, at the federal level, we seem to have been anesthetized by repeated liberal projections that have the deficit being dealt with sometime in the next 200 years. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> the province can't seem to get 200 days of having a deficit before all heck would break loose. Yep. The debt to GDP ratio in BC, it's lower than what the Business Council of BC would like to see as a good threshold. I think we're in good shape, but it is going to be a challenge, I think, maintaining that that balance, which I think was important for this government too, coming up against the perception that they were going to spend a lot and change the way things had been done for 16 years. But also, again, following through on their commitments and then not necessarily increasing taxes because we know if things stay the way they are, business might be unhappy, but they might not make any bold statements. But if we start to see taxes go up, I think we'll see some issues. And yet, I think when we've been talking about this on the podcast over the last year or so, one of the areas that we've always said is that this provincial government will likely be judged again on its stewardship of the economy that that is always the suspicion about NDP governments, that they can't do that, that they just don't know how to, how to you know, deal with, uh, with the balance sheet terribly well. Is this a, an important budget for Carol James in order to demonstrate that she didn't just click in properly once with a, a hot economy that gave her a surplus, but that she has a plan to deal with some of the more difficult things that lay ahead. I think that's key. I think looking at how much the NDP plans on spending in the next few years, and we'll get that in the fiscal projections, will be something worth looking at, as well as what they're going to do, again, with things like MSP premiums phasing out, with dwindling revenues in certain areas. It's not going to be, I don't think it's flashy a budget as the last one was with historic spending, but it's more going to be the follow-up, which is a little bit more serious in tone, looking ahead. How are they now going to execute on everything they promised last year? One area that I find strangely absent from this that we might have expected a couple of years ago is cannabis revenue. Yeah. (laughs) This is not proven to be the cash cow for, for any government at the moment. If, if anything, it looks as if the government is one of the few drug dealers that will lose money uh, because, <laughs> because of the initial investment into the sector, mm-hmm. uh, the infrastructure that's necessary in order to regulate and enforce. Um, are you going to look for some sign in all of this that the cannabis adventure is actually proving to be somewhat lucrative for government, at, at least down the road? 
Yeah, I wonder if that's going to be a an industry that is lucrative for government in the short term. So in the projections that we're going to see, I think right now what we're seeing is a little bit of catch up, a little bit of figuring out how they're going to roll this out. There still hasn't been a big rollout of the no. cannabis industry in no, BC. Not at all. So I, I think that's going to take some years, but it would be interesting to see where the BC government's head is at. We didn't actually see a lot in last year's budget, which was a big surprise given that we were pre- legalization and everyone was looking for some kind of indication of what they were going to do. Yeah, because obviously the the issue there is that the government is in competition in this case with the black market. Mm -hmm. It can't afford to have a price or have taxes and surcharges that will drive the cost of cannabis out of reach um, of, say, the black market where, you know, the, the undercutting, the very clear low pricing is going to retain a market that the government wants. Mm -hmm. We've also seen a lot of companies choose to invest abroad and not necessarily invest in production in Canada. And I think there's a variety of reasons for that. It's obviously highly regulated, but there seems to be a bit of a race to maybe establish a bit of a global footprint. And that could potentially contribute to, to revenues and supply here if you have our biggest companies focusing attentions elsewhere. Because I, I think you've talked to people on the podcast as well, this is uh, a very small window for Canada mm -hmm. to uh, to get itself together and be the world leader. And if if it doesn't do that in this case, then it's going to be actually a, a bit player, not a major player in this space as other countries uh, try to try to legalize. Um, back to the issue again of um, of the NDP and its management of the government. Uh, of, of the uh, of the economy under the under its government, uh, what is interesting is that there is now no longer, I perceive, a threat of uh, of being brought down by the Greens of, mm. of moving out of its uh, its its you know confidence and supply agreement, the so called CASA, that seemed quite um, hinged on um, economic stewardship as well. It, in a way, can Carol James act as if she has a majority? To some extent, perhaps. The interesting example here is liquefied natural gas. And we have had Mr. Andrew Weaver on our show before saying that that was the hill he was going to die on if we saw any kind of development in our LNG industry here. He was going to push for a vote of non-confidence, and that was going to be that. We now have Canada's largest private sector investment in LNG Canada coming here to British Columbia, and we have a relatively happy Green Party leader despite yeah. that. So I, I I would struggle to find an area where the NDP could push into, even if they didn't have the consent or blessing of the Greens, and risk moving into a no-confidence vote situation. Because the carbon tax will grow. Mm -hmm. uh, we, we know that there's a schedule for its growth. But having said that, the NDP, you know, I'm reminded, has only identified three quarters of the emissions that uh, that it will deal with under its climate action plan. There's still 25% laying out there that it promises to identify over the next, I guess it's about the next year and a half mm -hmm. now in a lot of ways. That being said, I, I don't think that the Greens are pushing them on this. And I don't think that the Greens seem prepared to topple the government, perhaps because they're worried about their own situation, that that in a lot of ways, uh, without proportional representation now, because that one didn't work, uh, they have to actually find a way to, in a way, rebrand themselves 
before the next election to make sure that they don't slide into oblivion and see a lot of their votes wind up either back with the liberals where some of their protest vote came from or back with the NDP where probably there's greater ideological alliance. Mm-hmm. That'll be interesting to watch. I, I think the Greens have gotten, looking at CASA, much of what they wanted. They got a look at proportional representation. They have their Clean BC program and a bunch of other areas too. And they've seemed to have a fairly positive, from their perspective, working relationship with the NDP. I think it's a good situation for the Greens, provided that issues around, say, LNG, as well as Site C and the handling of Crown Corporations doesn't sort of eat away at their base that might be a little bit unhappy that government's pursuing these, even though it runs counter to what the Greens originally wanted. Yeah. Well, um, next couple of weeks, extremely interesting times because the, there's no doubt that uh, the world economy is is a little more apprehensive than it was, say, this time a year ago or two years ago. And in as much as British Columbia has some pretty nice economic forecasts that I think uh, will lead the country again, uh, no doubt that if if the United States winds up uh, getting into a situation where uh, its its economy slows, therefore the Canadian economy slows, therefore British Columbia still can't help but be slowed itself. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's the big question. And I think how governments choose to plan for that is what at least I'm going to be watching for in the upcoming budgets. Good. Good having you on the show. Thanks. It's your show too. (laughs) It is. Yeah, I'm a guest today. That's okay. (laughs) Haley Wooden. I'm Kirk LaPointe. Thanks a lot for listening to BIB Today. We'll see you next time.